Warriors. They exist among us, and sometimes they win. Even the devil was an angel once. The world has its own rules, and these rules are not human. Some of us seek answers to the origin and existence of cryptids and the unexplained. Join us as we venture beyond the known and accepted boundaries. Welcome to our nightmare. I think you're going to like it. Folks, good evening and welcome to another episode of Phantoms and Monsters Radio where we explore the strange and the unexplained. I'm your host, Lon Stricker. Thanks for joining me. So um, if you enjoy our content, uh, then please subscribe, like, and share our presentations. Uh, Super Chat is active during the show, so please show your support for Phantoms and Monsters Radio by clicking the uh, dollar icon underneath the chat. And uh, you can also support the channel by using the buy me a coffee link or banner in the description below or up in the banner on the top of the page. Uh, your consideration is very much needed and appreciated. So tonight we welcome researchers, investigators, and authors, Graham Rendell, Luke Shanahan, and Mark Fiorentino. Now, Graham Rendell is a full-time author and commentator on the Unidentified Aerial Phenomena Issue. He has also contributed to The Debrief, an American news website dealing with cutting-edge science, tech, and defense news, and a frequent guest on various podcasts looking at UAPs. He also writes articles on the subject for UAP Media UK. Graham has written a critically acclaimed work looking at the Foo Fighters, witnessed during World War II, in the numerous wartime cases that occurred before the term was coined in November 1944. Uh, he has been an, an aviation World War II history enthusiast from an early age when he was given model aircraft kits, kits to keep him quiet, which is funny because my dad owned the hobby shop, so I get that. Uh, I, they did the same to me, too. So uh, now Luke Shanahan is an experienced ufologist who has been researching the phenomena for 20 years and in the last five years has become a dedicated field researcher and social media manager. Running two internationally known and respected Facebook pages are Facebook groups, UFO Files Group and Into the Dimensional Rift. Born in Melbourne and now living in Queensland, Australia, Luke has had an eye in the sky and interest in UFOs since he was a boy. Luke has thoroughly, thorough knowledge of astrology, astronomy and ufology and has uh, interviewed several well-known experiencers such as Calvin Parker and Jim Peniston, keeping an ever-watchful eye on the Australian sky. Now, Mark Fiorentino is the author of Master of Reality, which is a book about the completion of Einstein's unified field theory. Mark spent most of his life working in the high-tech industry, starting out as an electronic technician in Harris Government Systems located in Palm Bay, Florida. That job was one of the most enjoyable and interesting jobs he had had. Uh, he worked on a killer satellite missile guidance system. He left Harris Government Systems and moved to North Carolina and worked for IBM for the next 16 years, troubleshooting computer systems and hardware. He also taught himself 
uh, computer programming and use that knowledge to develop a program to uh, failure and analyst faulty electronic circuit boards. Later, Mark moved back to Florida and, and worked for five years at a company named ImageSoft, that then finishing his career locally in his hometown, working on, in the IT department at Winter Haven Hospital. Now, Mark's website is located at super-relativity.com. Uh, so, guys, thanks for joining me this evening. Thank you. Thank you. Hello. So I'm going to start out by uh, having each one of you tell the audience um, what, what your research has entailed, what you're interested in, and uh, what you've been doing over the years. Let's start off with, uh, with Graham. Hello, everybody. So, yeah, um, as you said in the introduction, I'm an aviation historian. Um, so I look at you know, sort of like the aviation aspects of this particular subject. I've written two books so far in terms of dealing with that. So these are then there. So we've got uh, the UFOs before Roswell, which deals with the Foo Fighters, and also a one that I've just brought out called Flying Source of Fever, which looks at aerial encounters between 1950 and 1952. So these are all based on documents, um, you know, whether they're blue book documents or sign or grudge documents, but also looking at intelligence files and squadron records from the Second World War that look at the European Foo Fighter sightings and also ones that happened before that name was coined, as you mentioned in the introduction. So that is my prime focus uh, because obviously I've got an interest in aviation, an interest in wartime technology, and German cigarette weapons, and mm -hmm. it all came together with a Foo Fighter book. Um, so that was the first one I wrote. But I'm now moving on to um, sort of the, the 1950s to look at those particular cases from the aviation aspect, from the pilots' encounters, from the crew encounters, uh, rather than just general cases. Because um, you know, I, I like to keep things focused on things I can understand and I can put into a form of words that other people hopefully then can understand. Interesting. Mark, how about you? Well, I got into this business, I guess you could say, from early childhood, uh, learning about Albert Einstein, who was on my birthday, and the nuns wanted us to report on a uh, saying on her birthday, and I couldn't find one, and lo and behold, Albert Einstein. So I started studying about him, I fell in love with science, and the unified field theory as a 10-year-old, and then got into UFOs as a teenager. And I'm very interested on their propulsion system and anti-gravity. As I figured, if they know about anti-gravity, they've solved the unified field theory. So pursuing that line of research, gravity and anti-gravity, eventually over the next 45 years, I compile all my notes upon my retirement. I write the book, Masters of Reality, and um, I put it all together and and developed the theory of super relativity, which is an extension of Einstein's work in special and general relativity uh, with the solution for the origin of mass, gravity, and inertia, which is on the research gate, that paper's on research gate. Uh, and that supplements the book that I wrote. And um, that's basically the short story for how I got into this uh, whole thing. Very good. And Luke? Yeah, well, um, yeah, as, as Mark said, I'm interested in a lot of the stuff he just um, mentioned. Um, 
just briefly going back to my childhood, I was interested in uh, science fiction and then later on became fascinated with uh, when I started to learn about UFOs, fascinated a bit with the idea that um, these things uh, could be real and, in my opinion, are real um, and wanted, wanted to um, basically study the... Uh, the subject in more detail. So, yeah, um, just keep you very short there so we can get on with the program. But, yes, <laughs> that's it. Well, I, I guess I got to ask the, the obvious question. What are UFOs? Are they just lights in the sky? Are they uh, galactic entities that come from other universes or other galaxies what what are we dealing with uh let me start off with graham do you know when people ask me that uh, i'll i'll be honest and say i don't know right. we don't have enough information yet to be able to say for definite what these things represent are they lights but they're, they're lights they're craft they may be something in between people you know sort of come up with all these kind of like of kind of um, theories and everything but until you can actually prove one of them or all of them, then really we're still you know, sort of casting around in the dark to try and find out what these things are. There are plenty of people who, who have claimed to know what these things are, and you'll see all these so-called experts that pop up, or the people who will say you know, that they've, had, they've met beings or they've been inside craft and all the rest of it. But unfortunately, until we actually have definite proof of this, then these are just stories, as far as I'm concerned. Mm. Um, you know, with with a, with a huge amount of respect to the people who make these you know claims and, and come up with these kind of tales, um, until there's definite proof, then we're still casting around for for what is that that, that evidence. Uh, what are your thoughts, Mark? Well, I I take an approach more in that I I would say that yes, they're all of the above, and there's okay. evidence testimonial evidence some of it has been given directly to me a person who wants to re remain anonymous for instance he and his friend who worked for the government in the 1970s were working in the desert and um at a facility there and they saw a ufo and they got so close that they were able to touch it if they wanted to that close and they saw markings on that ufo and they claim it said U.S. Air Force experimental. So I think there's part, some of the UFOs we see. This is just my opinion now. Some of the UFOs we see are our stuff, reverse engineered. Some of it from other worlds. Some of it is mistaken phenomena, you know, Venus, whatever. It's a, it's a hodgepodge. It's a mix. Mm -hmm. Altogether, I'd say, you know, basically, if you're seeing a craft out there and it has no jet engine, it's making no noise, and it's making fantastic maneuvers, it's either one of ours that we just reverse engineer and we have and we're testing, or it's probably an alien ship. That's my opinion. And what are your thoughts, Luke? Well, uh, my thoughts are straight up. Um, these things are real because... Thousands, if not millions of people have seen these things and they're not our craft and they can't, they do maneuvers that our craft can't keep up with. And um, it's, you know, even out of a million cases, if one is real, they are real. So mm -hmm. in my basic opinion, 
Um, they are real. They're coming to this planet for whatever reason, scientific reasons. Uh, you get a lot of lot of arguments off people, you know, why would they want to visit this planet? Well, maybe they're curious. They're like us. They're curious. They want to know what we're about, what we do, how we act, our behaviour, everything. Um, so, yeah, I, I believe 100% that these, this phenomenon is 100% real. I guess you have, um, beyond the extraterrestrial sort of hypothesis, you also have two other op options which have been bandied about in recent years. And you have the kind of ultra-terrestrials, I believe that's the phrase. So yeah. they're more of those people who live with us and that we're not really aware of them, but they've been here maybe forever. Or the time travellers from the future. They're us from the future coming right. back to see us. So as, as Mark said there, it's all of the above. It could be any one of them, or it could be all of them, or it could be one of them. And we're not at the point yet, I think, and this is my personal opinion, as to where, which one of them, or it could be something completely different that we're still not aware of. Uh, you know, we're not at that point yet. But with, with great res respect to our Australian guest here, yes, that could be quite, that could be quite right. And a lot of people for years have... have you know, that's where their focus has been. But I don't think we should rule other things out either um, because it, it's, you know, from a kind of um, a historian's point of view, you, you don't rule everything out until you rule everything out kind of thing. Mm. So, um, you know, you have to keep things in mind um, just because you might want something to happen or you believe it doesn't mean to say you should also rule out other stuff as well. Uh, but yes, you know, it could be aliens. It could be, it could be us from the future. It could be almost anything really. Okay. Um, now, as far as uh, let's let's talk about the the more recent so-called uh, disclosures by the government or the military, especially here in the United States, uh, with the the Tic Tac sightings or whatever with the Nimitz group and all, and and I know Mark has looked into that. Uh, are they kind of spoon feeding us uh, this information, uh, or is this something that? Uh, is was done to generate some type of excitement or maybe just to quell the curiosity? Well, I, I think that uh, it's very, you have to be very careful in analyzing this data. I mean, they obviously pre presented some real good uh, data that we can see. There's radar, it's on infrared, it's on regular photography. It's visual sightings confirmed, and even the government admits it's something. They don't know. They won't admit what it is, and mm -hmm. I have a feeling they probably know. And uh, they're they're at this point where they're boxed in, they're painted into a corner, and they got to admit, well, okay, yeah, that's something. You can't deny all that rock solid data that's coming out of the system. It's leaking out of their system. And so they're just going to put their hands up in the air and say, I don't know. I don't know what it is. And, and, and so we're still kind of left hanging because we, we want more. We want them to admit something. But I, I'm thinking this is good data. And we have to be careful that because they also, I know our government, the U.S. government, mm -hmm. uh, probably in conjunction with uh, other nations, has a disinformation bureau going on. So we, you know, we, we have to be very careful when they're putting this stuff out to really 
examine it, think about it, analyze it, discuss it as we're doing here to make sure we get it right. We get the best information possible. Yeah, uh, Luke, you know, you, you being in Australia and uh, familiar with what they uh, have disclosed in your country. And of course, the United States, Great Britain and, and Australia have been very tight militarily and, and government wise for, for years. And I'm quite sure they're working a lot of things together when it involves the uh, UFO question. But what, what has been different in Australia as compared to the United States or the UK as far as disclosure? Um, well, not a lot different, to be honest. Um, I'm sure every every country sees it as a similar kind of um, phenomena. Uh, it's just the way certain countries handle it, the governments and whatever. Um, and it all depends on the amount of sightings and uh, what... What has been disclosed, but apparently America has, um, yeah, taken a good slice of the cake uh, with the phenomenon at the moment, um, with the tic tacs and um, actual military uh, confirmation that these things are potentially uh, from, if they're not uh, from Russia, they're not from China. Well, the question is poses. Who are they and who's operating these craft? You know, it's, it's also interesting that, um, especially here in the United States and in Australia, you've got the indigenous people that seem you know, the Aborigines in, in your country, where mm -hmm. uh, there does seem to be connection between uh, uh, other beings from other worlds and other craft. Uh, where, where does that fit in the equation? Uh, well, you, you can, um, yes, Aboriginal, um, they, they go back a long time, a long time, uh, thousands of years. And um, even swapping over to America, you know, you've got your Hopi tribes that have uh, mentioned the, um, the ant people, uh, the underground people, which mm -hmm. researchers may not know about, uh, that actually help the Hopi tribe out with. So um, these particular entities could have been visiting us for thousands of years, possibly. I, I won't confirm that, but um, during my research, it is possible it may have happened. Um, I can't or cannot prove that that is correct. Uh, Graham or Mark, you having to say about that? If you're asking about U the UK's stance and its public stance on on yeah. UFOs in terms of the Ministry of Defence, is that there's nothing of a defence significance for the last 50 years. That yeah. was um, the announcement that was made in the House of Lords debate last last July, uh, after the release of the preliminary assessment in America at the end of at the end of June. So the as far as the UK government are concerned, there's nothing to see here and move along. Right. But obviously we know the reality is different because there have been case after case, especially in the 1990s in terms of Calvin in 1990. And there was a couple of other things that happened afterwards that have suggested that there have been certain types of craft, whether or not they're secret US platforms or not, or there's something you know, much more exotic that are flying in UK airspace, possibly without the UK knowledge of it. So therefore that is defense significance. Um, but 
in terms of the three videos that you mentioned earlier, they didn't come out willingly in terms of, it wasn't a case of the US government or the US Department of Defense saying, oh yeah, we're going to put these out for public consumption. Right. That, was Lou, that was Lou Elizondo and, and Chris, you know, Chris Van Mellon. They were behind putting those out. So it was a kind of, you know, let's get this out so people can discuss it. Um, you know, I'm not going to rehash the, the, the old discussion about why they came out for and why they did it and their motivation, but it happened that way. It wasn't. It wasn't an official release by any means in terms of you know an orchestrated campaign by the Department of Defense to say yes, we're going to put these out in the public realm. They, they came out through the back door effectively. Mark, do you think they're compelled to, to go forward and start releasing more? Well, not unless somebody gets them by the arm and pulls it behind their back and forces yeah. it to. They they have taken a closed stance to this from the get go from 1947 on. And uh, there, I don't see that changing anytime soon. For for myself, I, I feel like I need to get beyond this discussion of who they are, what they are. I'm going to at this point. I've I've seen enough evidence that I am thoroughly convinced that it's a combination of things. There is advanced technology that we reverse engineered. If you take you know the Bob Lazar information the information i have uh, obviously these craft are flying around that is not something that you know we've made homegrown here without some sort of help i mean there's they're flying around with mach 20 and, <laughs> and they're making right turns at, at 10,000 miles an hour there's no aircraft we have that can do that so let's 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 move beyond that, you know, wonder where they are, wonder where they're here. They've been here for tens of thousands of years. Mm -hmm. And there's lots of testimony from people who, you know, claim to have been taken aboard. Either they're all lying or some of them are telling the truth. And it's time to just take that information and say, keep an open mind and let's try to figure out how they work. So I've moved beyond are they here? Are they not here? Who who it is? I'm saying, yeah, okay. There's advanced alien technology. We're using it. Um, we've developed it to some point since we've been scooping up all the crashed aircraft all around the world uh, before anybody else can get them. In most cases, taking them back here and reverse engineering them. Uh, it's time to try to figure out how they work so we can advance our civilization. I'm taking this thing to the next step. And that's what I'm, I, I wanna get on with. I'm interested in what you guys have studied, any kind of information about the, the capabilities and any type of interference that these aircraft have, have given to the uh, other people who have watched it, their cars stalling, radios not working, uh, humming sounds they hear all that's information we need to put together and build some sort of uh, idea how they work and that's that's my main focus now and, and working with gravity and anti-gravity so this is a question to all of you and if you've got something to say just just chime in um the techno technology advance that we've gone through especially in the past 50 plus years. Do you think it's because 
of the UFO phenomena that has been collected. Uh, and you talk about reverse engineering, but other aspects that they may have discovered. Do you think there's something there that we have taken advantage of or been given somehow? I'd, I'd actually like to hear Graham's response first before we respond. So. Okay. So in terms of Mark was mentioning effects on, you know, butter from craft or, or from objects, um, my sort of looking at uh, the, the wartime cases, there are certainly cases of where aircraft were affected by things that were seen by pilots and aircrew. There's one particular case that happened right at the end of the war in Europe, where a huge object went past the front of a Lancaster bomber and all the engines failed. But there are other stories of, um, you know, sort of um, the Foo Fighters not being picked up on radar. And that's another, and that's a quite a common theme. These things were not picked up either by airborne radar from the night fighters or by ground radar. So you, know, you can look at that as well as to why that's the case. But back then, that wasn't a case when we were affected. We were allegedly recovering craft of descriptions, unless, of course, you believe the stories from Italy in the 19, early 1930s. And there are also stories that the, the Nazis are supposed to have reverse engineered stuff that they've picked up over the years. There were stories about something crashed in Poland in 1938 mm -hmm. that was supposed to be recovered. But these are stories. And there are a whole load of, um, if you look on websites, etc., you'll see stories about the, the Germans building their own flying discs. Unfortunately, when you look at that in, in greater detail, you find it boils down to a whole load of people claiming stuff in the early 1950s through newspaper articles, and there's no substance to it whatsoever. So anybody who thinks that you know, the Nazis built flying saucers, they're going to have to do a hell of a lot better than that to come up with information that actually can prove that that ever happened. Now, in terms of did recoveries and things happen afterwards? I'm not entirely sure that reverse engineering has happened. I mean, with a great deal of respect to Mark and what he's found out, that that might be the case. But my sort of, you know, sort of suspect, uh, I suspect that if they have stuff, then it's things they can't understand and they're still looking at it and they may not be able to actually you know, reverse engineer it and fly it. It's almost like my analogy is, Give Sir Isaac Newton an iPhone. He'll look at it and you won't even know what the concept of it is, never mind how it works or how you power it up. And then once the battery goes, it's just a hunk, a hunk of metal and glass. You can't use it. If he opens it up, you won't understand what's inside it because it's way beyond his ken. You can't understand how it works. And then, so if you know, the Americans say got things from the Roswell crash in 47, if that happened, then... It might be stuff that they simply can't understand. And all they do is, with their current understanding, and even with the best people in the world, they look at it and think, don't know what this is. They put it away for a few years and then go back to it when there's more developments in, developments in science and understanding and knowledge, et cetera. And then that just keeps happening every so often. And they might get a little bit more of the puzzle each time, but they're probably still not at the point where they can fly these things. Or if they are, they're much less capable than whatever they've picked up in the first place. Um, I'm not entirely sure that our developments have got the point where they're replicating things from other worlds. I don't mm -hmm. think our understanding is that far advanced. But I do agree that there are stuff flying around there that we have built that does simulate some of the capabilities that have been observed over the years. And as far, as far as the phenomenon goes, yes, it's, it's, it's admitted in documents that it is real, that something is, is you know, out there, something's happening. You look back to the Project Sign Technical Report from uh, February 1949, and it says in that 
that you know there is a real phenomenon here. The Grudge technical report says exactly the same thing. So it's not as if you know, nobody's admitted that there's something happening. It's just a question of what that actually is. Anybody Sorry, that's not necessarily palatable. <laughs> <laughs> Anybody want to follow up on that? Well, uh, other people have said, made this claim is there's technology, let's face it, they're not likely just to be a hundred years ahead of us right. or a thousand. It's probably going to be in the millions. Possibly. And, and so, yeah, that stuff is going to be really hard to the technology itself because of the advancements of, of how they develop their hardware. The, the, their hardware is going to be so advanced, it's going to look like magic to us. But they're bound by the same laws of physics that we already know about now. Magnetism, electrostatic fields, and gravity. So if they're going to make anti-gravity, they're going to have to use one of those three fields or a combination right. in order to achieve that. They're bound to that because this universe... It's just not that complicated. So even though we might look at like their power supply and say, how does this work? It's just a slab of plexiglass. And, and somehow there's no wires coming out of it, but it's feeding all the other circuits. This is according to Bob Lazar and others who have made the same claim. Okay, so that's really confusing. We don't know how the zero point energy system works, but apparently it does. And uh, so we can take some information. That's why I'm interested in these reports where the engines cut off and, and the radios go off and, 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 and there's interference. Because that's an indication of electromagnetic interference. This is something we know about. Or magnetic interference with circuitry, which can cause engines to cut off through mm -hmm. via induction. Mm -hmm. uh, these things we could reverse engineer and figure out. So basically, as I have researched in my book, I, I, I am very sure that the entry level anti gravity technology has to do with um, high magnetics and in particular magnetics in motion. And this has an effect on space. And I, you know, I can get into a lot of technical stuff here, but mm -hmm. the bottom line is that's understandable. Now, maybe they've out sophisticated us with their advanced molecular and atomic uh, technology, their integrated circuits are so well beyond us. It, you know, we can't fathom what's going on, but if we put sensors around this stuff and I'm sure if I thought of it, the government has thought of it and all the physicists they've hired, that they're going to reverse engineer this by what the things are emitting, how they're emitting it, what frequencies and so forth. And they're eventually going to get to the point, especially if they've had contact. Mm -hmm. This is one thing that we're not considering here. Well, some of these people or these crashes, they have been claimed that they have uh, on survivors and they've been able to communicate with it. Well, this gives us a big advantage to figuring out exactly how these things work because they could say, well, it works like this, doing this and that. And, and so I think it's entirely possible and I'm really beyond the point where wondering about it or not, I'm pretty, 
pretty confident that we have it. We know about it. We we know a lot more than than most people realize, and uh, that's why I've built my own lab, and I'm building my own equipment to verify the process of making an anti-gravity field. So interesting. Well, uh-huh. you know, regular scientists they want data. They want evidence that they can comprehend. So, okay, all right, you know what? It's, a, it's time to stop talking about this stuff and take action. Mm-hmm. And so that's the next logical step. I says, I know how this all works. I worked it out and, and now I got to prove it. So that's, that's the deal there. So, you know, I'm going to just say I'm beyond wondering if they're here or not, wondering if there's advanced technologies. I'm, I'm pretty on board with that. Yeah. And, and, um, and I agree with you. I, I, I think there there is definitely some something here or has been or has been involved with this. You know, my, my father was in the Air Force, and um, he was in the 509th Bomber Wing. Uh, now, this was after Roswell. He was he – was, uh, stationed in 52 and uh, but he heard a lot of stories from guys who were in the, in that were there at Roswell now my dad never talked much about it he he just decided he would never do it he was also with strategic air command and uh, but I used to tag along with him to the reunions because the 509th we used to have the reunions at Wright Patterson so my dad would take me there and I got to talk to a few of these guys, and um, they were never very specific. But when you did mention it, you could always see that something happened that they didn't really want to comment on. So I believe personally that something really did happen at Roswell. And, of course, I, I believe there have been other, you know, other crash retrievals as well. Do you, have anything, do you think anything about that, Luke? Absolutely. Um, well, now that our technology is coming into a, a new new form, um, with especially with the JWST, James Webb Space Telescope, um, we're discovering more exoplanets than ever. Mm-hmm. And uh, scientists can't confirm at the moment that intelligent life exists. But I believe... We're in the golden era of we we could possibly prove this with this technology. So um, it's very close to fully operational, the JWST. Um, it'll be operational in the next month, and they'll be sending through the first, um, not the first photos, but more clarified ones because it'll be fully operational. And I believe that these exoplanets will harbor life. Um, we're, we're actually going to find life for the first time. And I'll, I'll roll the dice with this one. I'll, I'll back myself up. And I think this will happen and it will change everything that we believe in. Um, It'll also change that uh, we can only look back with the Hubble uh, about 3.8 billion years in the unit, 13.8 billion years, correction. Mm. Um, Now we'll be able to look even further. Um, 
perhaps 15, 16 billion years. So what's past that point? Um, the mind boggles. Hmm. Now, Graham, you wrote about Foo Fighters, and I'm fascinated with the Foo Fighter phenomenon that uh, happened during World War II. Uh, after going back and looking at the Korean War and other wars, there, there's been always been some type of UFO phenomena that has been associated with, with these conflicts. Uh, do you believe that uh, they are somehow monitor, monitoring you know, the, these conflicts? There's a school of thought that thinks they're attracted to that kind of, um, you know, kind of warfare, or that they've been attracted to the the sort of development of, at of atomic technology, atom bombs, etc. The, re the possibility is there's just there's so many people flying around. I mean, World War II, you're looking at tens of thousands of people flying around at night, um, looking out, you know, desperately for other aircraft because that was their job. And then people on the ground who were looking for aircraft, you know, in a heightened state of alert, and their job was to observe the skies. And if they were in an aircraft, you'd be looking out for night fighters or other aircraft, et cetera, et cetera. So a lot of highly motivated, highly trained uh, people who would be able to report stuff, and they were encouraged to report things as well. So you know, you've got everything coming together at once to have a perfect storm for people to actually report stuff like this. Anything out of the ordinary would have been suspected to be a new form of enemy secret weapons, whether they were German or Japanese or wherever. So you know, that's where you're going to get these kind of reports. And the the, uh, the Allied Air Intelligence did actually take them seriously. And they did do a lot of kind of you know analysis of various reports to try and find out what was at the bottom of this. They got mm -hmm. nowhere because there was nothing to actually um, to prove. It wasn't like they were looking at V1s or V2s where you could get photographs, you could get hardware, crash bits that they could hold in their hands and look at and do the kind of reverse engineering that you know, Mark's been talking about. They could actually put these bits together and see how these things worked. Because these would end ended up just being stories. There were no real photographs. There are um, um, you know sort of stories about photographs being taken at the time, but those mm. photographs have never appeared. And the ones that you see in the media at the moment, who knows what the hell they are? They could just be <laughs> defects on the film. The, yeah. the Japanese pictures. The Japanese had a shortage of certain materials for the development process, and that's why their pictures are a certain fashion. So therefore, it was a case of you know, these things could just be defects on the film for all, for all people know. And there's no context to these pictures either. So the one where you see the two aircraft with that little blob in the middle, um, you know, who knows what the hell that is. But the, the actual the phenomenon itself is real because you see it reported in squadron records, you see it reported in air intelligence records, in operational research bomber command records where they did the operational analysis. And the Germans are supposed to have come across the same things before. However, there's a problem because those reports are few and far between. There's lots of anecdotal evidence about, oh, the Germans saw them too, and here's a whole load of stuff about them. But when you delve into it, you can't find them because they're just you seemingly don't exist right. but there are stories about them i did find some reports for the book but there aren't many but yes there are tons of american reports and RF reports uh the RF reports are much earlier in the war as well than the american ones um the american reports are only for a certain area in parts of europe and italy but the, the RF reports are all over europe including the balkans north africa uh you know you name it sort of thing so it's a very wide-ranging um, phenomenon and it's not just lights you're talking about structured craft as well some 200 300 foot long torpedo shaped objects um, you know, which are, appear to be airships, but why would there be airships in a war zone? 
the, you know, the, the two the two vulnerable, and yeah. and a lot of other things that happened in the daytime as well. It wasn't just a nighttime phenomenon. So yes, there was a lot going on. Um, it doesn't make any sense whatsoever when you look at the kind of German secret technology that, were, that they were developing. You can't match it. Um, from a historian's point of view and what, and what people know about the war and what people have investigated and the records, they don't match. And I know people in your chat have been mentioning about German flying saucers and about the bell, which is supposed to have happened. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, that's shaky because although the Polish guy who was investigating this, Witowski, has come up with all this information, it's necessarily just based on a, one person's um, kind of being interviewed by Polish military intelligence after the war. And he was allegedly sent to Norway anyway because he fell out. He fell out of favour. He was an SS police leader, um, so it's on shaky ground, and there's not that much, you know, sort of documentary evidence to actually suggest that anything like that was ever built there. But these are great stories, and all the stories about Nazi, uh, you know, flying saucers and Antarctica bases and all the rest of it are wonderful stories. But when you try and dig down into it and trying to get some actual evidence and proof, you just don't find it. So you know, what can you say? Yeah, I agree with you. You know, I had I had someone who wanted me to write a book about the Nazis as far as UFO technology and other technology. And I just told him, I said, well, there's not really that much out there. It's all conjecture for the most part. And, um, you know, and this is another question I've got for all of you. Um, whoever wants to answer it. There does seem to be some evidence that these craft seem to be uh, attracted to uh, nuclear sites or, or nuclear storage facilities. Uh, is, is, you think there is a, a reason behind that? Yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah. Here, here's the worst case scenario. Assuming we're going to imagine that there really are aliens, mm-hmm. ETs, and they're <laughs> observing us in our warlike activities to see what capabilities we have. Right? Are we a threat to them? Now, now with the with the atom bomb, now that's that's a pretty serious weapon, but it's not a problem from for them unless we have the technology that can get us off this planet. Mm-hmm. Now, if we have the same technology as they have, where they can go to other star systems, now we are a threat. Because we could deliver missiles or we can deliver uh, spacecraft that can uh, unleash untold amounts of damage on their home planets. So I would think they'd be very interested in our uh, atomic bombs and hydrogen bombs and so forth. And that um, they really don't want that off of this planet. So I would think, yeah, that's a good reason for them to to see how advanced we are, uh, understand or take over our systems as it's been reported uh, and so forth. I, I definitely think they have a legitimate good reason for investigating our facilities uh, because there's a concern. If we do have the uh, interstellar capability, uh, then we are a threat. Well, let me follow up with that. Do you think we do have the propulsion capabilities or in the near future to to be able to handle that? Yeah, um, my opinion, based on my my theory and and how to create an anti-gravity field, uh, all you need is a lot of current, Mm -hmm. a lot, uh, megawatts. Uh, 
in a small package. So maybe a power supply with the size of a basketball, something of that nature. Uh, delivering to the emitters the coils that they use, uh, that I believe they use in their ships and the design that I'm making, um, the enough current to have the high magnetic capability, probably using superconductor technology as well that I'm sure they already have. And uh, you put all this together and you can develop a warp field, what I call in my book, the slip wave. And once you have that, this slip wave, this particular field, not only allows you to break the light speed barrier, which is absolutely essential to get beyond this solar system. Mm -hmm. You can't just go at the speed of light. It's way too slow. You have to go not just a few times, like in Star Trek, eight or nine times. You have to go tens of thousands of times faster than uh, the speed of light if you want to get anywhere in a reasonable amount of time. So this, I believe we have the capability of doing that. We're right on the edge, even without the help of uh, alien technology and reverse engineering. We're almost at, or if not already discovered, superconductor technology, which is absolutely essential to build the coils necessary to build the magnetic field necessary to uh, surround the craft with a spatial bias drive mm -hmm. and, and that I think we've I think we've we have all of that or we're very close on all of that um, just now let me ask this uh, as far as interstellar travel uh, will it require us to be able to go through wormholes or through other types of passageways to get to where we want to go? There's multiple ways. I think that's what everybody's finding out in these Stephen Greer interviews where all these leakers are coming out of the government <laughs> that they never foresaw happening, apparently, over the years. Now we have a lot of leakage in our own government coming out and testifying about stargates, interstellar travel by interdimensional, which is a highly efficient way to go. Right. Along with my technology, which I call an entry-level interstellar technology, uh, which the basic, which is the basic technology that any UFO, uh, any alien group is going to have to use in order to break the light speed barrier. You have to use high magnetics in a rotating field of some sort. And um, it, it's, it's gotta, it's gotta be, it, it has to happen. It has to happen here on this planet because this planet isn't gonna last forever and yeah. neither are their planets. You have to bilocate. You have to set up systems. You have to set up civilizations somewhere, not here because this place could go at any time. Just ask the dinosaurs. <laughs> that isn't true. Right. Uh, and, and so we will not be safe until we develop this technology. It's a number one assignment for humanity. We have to be able to bilocate to some other world, some other systems, as, I sure, as I'm sure other aliens are doing. 
you know, either here in underground bases or in other places on the on the moon or whatever. You have to be in more than one spot just in case something really goes wrong on your home planet. Mm-hmm. It, it's a necessity. It's a, it's we have to evolve to this, and it's high time that the government stop covering this up. And you know, I I don't know how to get them to stop it, but. Uh, the humanity itself is going to have to start figuring this out. Maybe with the work Graham's doing and Luke, we're going to get enough information, you know, and I, I'm and what I'm doing and working on, we can solve this problem and develop this technology. Luke, do you have anything to add to that? Absolutely. Um, I, I think Mark is correct. I mean, um, to become... A, uh, an advanced species, um, a type two or type three civilization, we have to we have to really push forward in technology, and um, we're currently at sadly at point uh, seven point eight <laughs> on that scale, yeah, which is not, not really good. Um, so maybe you- maybe for everybody who's listening, can you describe the three levels? Uh, the three types of civilizations that are defined in that theory? So, um, yeah, type one can harness the um, our own sun, all the energy of our own sun and utilise that. And then type two can uh, utilise all the energy of um, our own galaxy meaning uh, we can harness stars, planets, manipulate power as we wish. And then type three, that goes next level. That goes universal. Mm -hmm. So um, that's harnessing everything in our universe. So, yeah, it's it's a pretty big call, but um, unless humanity gets its stuff together... Uh, we're, we're stuck in this rut of not moving forward, and that goes all the way back to Tesla. And I don't need to really mention that too much right. because he he could have made us a hundred years advanced more than what we could have with his technology. Uh, for anyone that's researched Tesla, so uh, yeah, that is the basic fundamentals of the civilizations and we're at about 0.7 roughly. Mm-hmm. So how long is it going to take for us to get to a type one to where we can actually harness the energy of our own sun? That is up to uh, our governments and humanity to come together as a coalition and organize that. Um, Lon, it's, it's a hard call. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, we, we can we can sit here and talk about what needs to be done, but geopolitically, just for one level, how uh, how realistic is that? I mean, even in the near future, not any, very. Anybody, you're going to have a, a countries vying with each other, or regimes, or, or or groups of countries vying with each other to be the top dog, the ones who exploit this technology. You can imagine if Russia, at the moment, the way they are, if they got their hands on on something like this, or managed to develop something like this, you know, yeah. what, how would they use it? They possibly wouldn't use it for good. They might right. use it to dominate the world. Um, 
would America do the same? You know, that, that that's a question that you can ask as well. So, it, well, it, I think we're, we we're would. Too, we're, yeah. we're too, we're, we're too yeah. disparate. We're, we're, we're too much of a warring factions. We, we, we don't get along as a species. Mm -hmm. We always find some way to have division between each other, whether it's on social or religious or economic or, or political grounds. Uh, we haven't solved that particular question yet. So until that's solved, then unfortunately we're not going to make the progress that you know people desire to, to get ahead. Um, and just going back to the previous question, if you don't mind, the, the things about the uh, the atom bomb and, and and the kind of connections between UFOs mm -hmm. and nukes, it might just be a yardstick of technology. It might not be as dramatic as, as Mark was saying about the threat that it poses. That could be a literally a kind of right we're going to sit up and take notes of you now. You're not just monkeys, you know, banging stick to, uh, or rocks together. You know, you've actually come to a point where your technology has got the point where you can split an atom. So um, and and even though the Foo Fighters were before 1945 and the dropping of the atomic bombs, fusion was invented in what 1938, and the Manhattan Project started kicking off in earnest in 1942. So the Foo Fighters could have been a manifestation of you know interest in what was going on in the pla on the planet in terms of that. There were certainly sightings over the Hanford facility in 1945. They sent fighters up after an object that was seen over over the, the plant, and then you've got sightings in over Oak, Oak Ridge, Tennessee and Hanford in, in the late 40s and early 50s. Mm -hmm. So there's, there's plenty of you know, evidence even much earlier than the Malmstrom um, things in 1970 to, to suggest that there was a link um, and, and certainly an interest in what was happening. Mm. Um, do you think after World War II that the human race is put on a priority list somehow? Basically that we were given technology or shown the way to advance ourselves going back from what i just said before about the fact that we're still trying you know trying to kill each other yeah. i don't think we're at that position yet i think yeah. that they're keeping tabs on us you know it's like it's like a lab experiment we're watching a whole load of you know soldier ants fighting with each other kind of thing um it's a it's a nice experiment but i think we're not in the position yet where they would trust us with anything because you know, if you give us something like that, radical technology, and chances are we'd use it against each other. We wouldn't actually use it for good. Yeah, Mark. I just have a question for Graham. Do you, are you, do you believe in the possibility of some sort of cabal? I don't discount it. Um, I can't prove it exists, but yeah, sure. It's a concept I've heard of. Um, some kind of galactic uh, confederation. No. Or, or oh, you mean something inside? You mean something more internal? Earth. Like people Earth. Earth. orchestrating things before um, here. Um, yeah. Yes, I've heard those stories. I don't know whether to believe them. I can uh, I can imagine well, how it buys into it. It, it, it kind of feeds into it. It kind of feeds into what you're saying because they're gonna their number one thing is to keep this technology out of the hands of the masses. Well, yes, if you buy into conspiracy theories, I'm sure that's a great yeah. thing for people to do. But it, it doesn't even need to get that far. We're simply a species that just likes to kill each other. Yeah. When it yeah. comes down to it. we'll find, if, if there isn't a reason already, we will find one. So that's what happens. And it doesn't have to be between nations. It can be just your neighbor. It can be a person down the street you don't like because you want, might want what they have. You know, that's enough in America for people to kill each other, isn't it? So therefore, no. <laughs> you know, it's the same the world over. So therefore, we're not in a position yet. You don't even need to get the, to the kind of level of, of deep conspiracies and the deep state and all the rest of it. We're just that kind of species that just like to, to hurt each other, to kill each other, to have advantage over each other, I'm afraid. Until we get past that, all the kind of things that we dream and we aspire to 
simply aren't going to happen. Well, there is a counter movement to get, it goes beyond this discussion really with NDEs and, and that sort of a spiritual realm that's fighting to fix the problem you're just talking about, where the solution to all of this is very simple. Uh, and it's one thing, learn to love one another. If we succeed in that, if we practice that, we live that, all the problems you just said go away. Every one of them gets solved because we stop this uh, abusing each other across the world, this hatred, this anger, and then we could advance. So a spiritual advancement would be one of the greatest things to help us to advance technologically. Yeah, we'd stop fighting each other. A spiritual spiritual way of looking at it is religion because they they hold themselves up as spiritualism. However, religions tend to end up warring with each other as well because they have different ways of looking at the same thing. So mankind gets in the mess and and misinterprets mm. it. (laughs) The greatest problem in religion is the misinterpretation of those religions. Because everybody has their own take on what what somebody has said years ago. Um, yeah, a religion has a lot to answer for, unfortunately. Oh, so. Yeah, but it's fixable if they fall back to the primary mm-hmm. principle. Love one another. That's the one commandment from God. I don't know if you believe in God or not, but <laughs> I just thought I'd introduce that in there as well. Uh, um, I'm an intelligent design theorist, so uh, the creator is uh, is ultimately behind all of this is what I believe. So I, I'm not only looking at moving the world along technologically, but we have to move along spiritually as well so we can solve the kind of problems that you're bringing up. I mean, they're real. They're valid. You're right. They're, they're, we just can't stop killing each other no. and, and shooting each other. And and you name it, you know, warring for political, religious uh, we're, you know, we're our own worst enemy at this point. But can I we change? Think- I mean, can yeah. we ever change? You know, um, I, I was, I, I was always a very strict evolutionist, but as time is going on, as I've looked into more and more phenomena, I, I believe there, there is a intelligent design thing. I mean, where there has been intervention at some point in the distant past. I mean, even now, they may be actually intervening and in, in changing or trying to change things. Thoughts on that? I think we can change. It's um, possible. Sure. Um, that's all about the life experience, learning from your mistakes and moving forward, hopefully, if you can wake up enough to, to do that, to start self-evaluating and thinking about what you can do to improve things, improve your life, improve other people's lives. Um, yeah, uh, the problem is we're in these avatars, these what we call humans, and and it affects our thinking. And, and so we have all this materialistic things going on in our heads that, that kind of mess things up. But uh, it's part of the process. We just have to learn to rise above that, you know. It's a tough, tough assignment, but uh, here we are. Right. I think we lost Luke, but hopefully he can get back going. Um, yeah. um, I don't know. I, I, I just feel that uh, myself that maybe we are 
get giving been giving some opportunities and really haven't taken advantage of it. I think we've been shown things in the past uh, and, and just ignored them. I think you can say that for a lot of things, a yeah. lot of technological advancements that could have happened, but for whatever reason, socio-political or monetary reasons, just simply haven't happened. I mean, look at the moon exploration. You know, you sort of ran out of uh, you know, ran out of steam in the mid seventies, right. didn't you? You know, you went to the moon, saw it, did a few Apollo missions, then went right. That's enough. We, we don't need to do any more. Um, and then public interest waned as well. You know, people were complaining that there were live Apollo coverage where, and they were missing reruns of I Love Lucy. So, you know, it was, <laughs> it was a you know, if that's the case, then God help us, really. Right. So, I, but I, I look at things that I can sort of, I can prove uh, in this. I look at documents, yeah. I try to build a picture of it, I try to tell a story. But also, there's, there's things that I don't understand, there's things I can't prove that I have just have to set aside. And I think I really can't sort of comprehend them or I can't prove them. So they just have to wait or they have to be looked at by people like Mark, who, who maybe has a better take on this than I do. Um, so I'm afraid I'm only restricted to a certain you know, subset of what's happening. Um, and I, I keep my focus quite quite narrow because then at least I can con I can contain what's going on and I can devote more time to it. Whereas the, there's just so much going on here. There's so much, so many facets oh, to there's it that it's just there not enough to keep on top of, unfortunately. Well, I, I can see you're you're taking a very scientific approach to the problem, very disciplined science, and I have great appreci appreciation for that. But you brought up the Apollo project and how they just sort of stopped. Now it's, are you aware that Buzz Aldrin has come out and admitted that they saw uh, alien spacecraft when they were on the moon? Mm -hmm. Well, he's, there's certainly been said that there's been stories about him saying that. I'm not entirely sure that he's actually said it for no. definite, has he? I saw it, I saw the video with him speaking the words. So well, I know for sure. Okay. And along with that, another guy from NASA who was uh, working at the time at the Cape Canaveral, Cape Kennedy, uh, also spoke to them through the medical channel and said that they were on the horizon just above where they were. They're all on the horizon watching us. I remember reading a book called The Secrets yeah. of Our Spaceship Moon by Don, Don Wilson back mm. in the 1970s and thinking it was a bit of a joke, really, because nothing could be proved in it. But if, you've, if you're saying that Bill Aldwin has said those words, I, I'd love somebody to be able to send me a link. My, my Twitter address is there. Please, somebody DM yeah, me and send, me the, send yeah. me the link to it so I can see it for myself. I'll send you the link. Uh, if, because that should be huge. Why, send why me, is, yeah, that's what why, I said. Why isn't, why isn't that on every news channel across the world? If he said that, and if I people just, are going to take it seriously, the second man on the moon saying that, why is that not everywhere? I think he was talking to Stephen Greer. I'm not sure. Uh, but I just saw it the other day, and I'm saying, now that's because my wife thinks more like you. Mm. And, and she's, I don't believe until there's rock-solid proof and evidence that and then I said, well, take a look at this. Well, him <laughs> Do you saying believe? It be, him the, saying it would be evidence, and uh, like, at least for a start, to go and... Like, I mean, that's high credibility. Is well, exactly. Second, yeah. But as so, far as I was aware until you said that, I'm not entirely aware he's actually said it, you know, um, for real. So there's been, there's certainly been allusions to the fact that they've said things like that. Yeah. Uh, 
Make sure I, think, I get your your email or something, and I'll send well, you the link. Well, I say I'm, I'm I'm actually on Twitter, so I'm I'm on oh. there. It's at border seven fifty. I never um, use Twitter. I uh, have an account, but do, do you <laughs> do any of you believe that the mainstream media, in particularly here in the United States, now I know you've got the tabloids in in the UK, and I don't know what they have in in Australia, but do you think they've been held back from reporting some of this information? Who are you asking in general? Anyone, any of you. Um, yeah, I, I would say absolutely. Um, yeah, the the media the media gets strip fed what they are needed to uh, believe, and um, what may be the truth, maybe uh, uh, you know a smokescreen beyond that. But yes, uh, to answer your question, yes. Okay, and and why do you think that is? Um, I I think it is because we're still not quite ready to handle the truth as a publicity. Maybe 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 some are, maybe some aren't, but. Uh, yeah, you you just you just go on social media, and you're. I run two big big groups, and mm -hmm. you'll just get ripped apart if you ask questions like that. They'll rip you apart. So is that right? Yep, absolutely. Mm. So um, you've got to be very careful in um, how you approach things and what you say on social media. Because, uh, yeah, certain, uh, you get a bunch, heaps of trolls. And, um, yeah, you get people that actually research and do their work. They'll send you a, a link through with all the descriptions. Now, that's what I expect. But you get people with their opinions and they'll just go, blah, blah, blah. I'll say something that someone else has said and... Yeah, it's kind of a big cliche and boring that they um, can't research for themselves. Mm. Um, as, far as, the, as far as the UK goes, in terms of the media, uh, mm -hmm. the suspicion that there was a D notice, which is a kind of a, it's it's almost like a voluntary gag order on the media, uh, the media to report things, was actually put in place for the Calvin object that was seen in 1990. Mm -hmm. But in terms of the rest of the media, you have to get a lot of clickbait kind of stories from the tabloids. Yeah. But in terms of the broad, what the broadsheets, the more serious newspapers, there's just apathy really. They don't want to know. I mean, in terms of UAP Media UK, a, gr a group that I'm part of in the UK, we try to get journalists involved in sensible reporting for, UF for ufology. But the, the likes of The Guardian and The Times, et cetera, the more heavyweight newspapers in the UK, they simply won't touch the stories because they're just not interested. You can't get the journalists engaged. They just won't look at it. Well, I'd like to start in, into, and, and Vince has just put up there about the Phoenix Lights. Uh, maybe we can talk about some incidents. What, what are your thoughts on that on that incident or supposed incident? And of course, there's been photographic uh, evidence, if you can call it that, of a possible craft. Uh, what do you think about those? Uh, can, let me start with uh, let me start with Mark on that. Well, if if it's the real deal, it's very impressive. Uh, mm -hmm. The ship was huge. Mm -hmm. 
uh, <laughs> uh, unfortunately, you couldn't really make out the island. You just had the lights going on and off. Mm -hmm. and they looked like they weren't moving relative to each other. They were just locked in place. So that suggests it's a solid object. Um, the size of it, well, that's impressive. And I've often wondered about that particular sighting. Is this, is this like a, a pre-introduction? Maybe they're in stages uh, visiting and you know, allowing us to see a little more and a little more. But it would have really been impressive if it was in the daytime. Yeah. Where we could really make out that ship. So it was no accident that it was at night and it was dark enough where you couldn't get a real fix on the the full image of that craft i i, mm. I wish but that's that's the case any good photographs we get uh, seem to disappear uh with our government my government or uh, and and then the the rest out there there's just very little really close up high detail i have a camera charged here all the time hoping mm -hmm. that something comes by the house that I could get a good, decent picture of. Right. Something that you could really sink your teeth into and say, wow, if that's not faked, then that's really the real deal. And, you know, even with video and, and, and photographs, everybody's, if it looks too good, well, it's fake. And you know, we, we keep going back and forth and it's going to be hard to get that convincing data yeah, I, I, agree, I agree, Mark. Um, yeah, if we had some IR shots on that actual, um, uh, the Phoenix lights. Oh, yeah, would, there it that is. That would, would have been fantastic because that would have shown maybe the whole craft. Yeah. In yeah. its whole, um, other than raw video footage from the 90s. So, um, yeah. Yeah. I, ag I agree there was something there and uh, it's so it's something that seems to defy maybe our understanding in terms of our con uh, ability to be able to realize something like that ourselves um the best person you want to talk to is probably david marler he, he's a respected researcher on triangular shaped ufos mm -hmm. um but also he's come up with you know, cases of football uh, uh, field sized objects in this kind of configuration and ones which you know, despite the fact that they've got a point on them like a triangle, they don't fly that way. They fly with a blunt side forward, mm -hmm. which is, to our mind, is quite strange. I, but I, Mark's going to come and jump in here. Actually. <laughs> I wasn't going to say about that, anything because I thought it was odd because I was out one night in my backyard and I'm always looking up. You know, when you're in this business, you're always looking at the stars to see what you can see. And I saw a triangular shape going across the sky and i got excited i'm yelling at my wife she's inside on the computer and i'm screaming come out you got to see this come out you got to see this and the ship it wasn't going like you would expect with the point the main front point going it was going sideways mm -hmm. this is that what you're saying this one well, not necessarily the, the one that was seen there, but certainly other reports where that the kind of blunt end is, is going forward. So from our, our aerodynamic kind of sensibilities, you'd expect it, the point would be the bit that goes first, but it was right. actually the other way around. So, you know, there, there's some str strange contradictions, in other words, in terms of the testimony. But, you know, yes, 
um, I, I, I agreed with something there uh, as to what it was. Again, that's just one of those things you can't really work You know, with. it's interesting because here in Pennsylvania, uh, we got a lot of these triangular or Corsair-shaped sightings, a lot of them. Uh, so, uh, and in fact, I, I did give Vincent a photograph that was taken along the Chestnut Ridge not too long ago, like a Corsair-like crap that was taken during the day. And uh, I don't know if he can bring that up or not, but uh, it was that real long image, uh, Vincent. But that seems to be something that a lot of people are reporting here. Now, I don't know how they are, what they're doing other places, but uh, it does seem to be happening here in this part of the country. Happening all around the world. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no doubt. I mean, like the Belgian, the Belgian yeah. triangle, that was an amazing an amazing photograph. Oh, that's yes. not it. But the, yeah. The, yeah, the Belgian photograph. There is also extra evidence in that photograph, which I think was in the eighties, nineteen eighty, somewhere in there. They were still using regular film uh, at that time. Uh, right. The the high tech cameras hadn't come out yet, and that film was analyzed by a physicist, and uh, he looked very closely at that. Uh, photograph or, or the actually the emulsion on the, um, the negative and he found something very unusual this is the evidence I'm always looking for mm -hmm. he said the emulsion itself was magnetized mm. so he was close enough for the magnetic field that was coming off of that ship to magnetize the emulsion in the photographic image yeah, that's the one right there. That was taken about a month ago above the Chestnut Ridges, which is in western Pennsylvania. Uh, and from what I understand, this thing was moving. Now, I don't know if it, it looks like there's a point area there or something, but it, it seems to be something like a Corsair or maybe a triangular-shaped uh, object. But uh, it, was, uh, it was moving slowly. I know that. But that's well, similar to what we get around here. Black well, triangles aren't a modern, uh, aren't a, a new phenomenon either. There was a, a case of a Spitfire pilot over Northumberland, the county I live in, in, the, in England, mm -hmm. in January 1944, coming across four of them at 22,000 feet in the daytime. Well, look at that and blow that up again, Graham, Luke. What do you think about these? I'm, I'm pointing with my, I know you can't see my pointer, but around the edge of it there seems to be something going on with the light yeah um as if there's some sort of field there magnetic field correct it i that's what i believe yeah it the is. guy who took the photograph did mention that of course he made note of it there on the photograph uh, yeah he did note that when he was actually looking at it there did look like there was some type of field around it and well that makes sense and, and that kind of evidence is you know, really excites me because there's, because a magnetic field, this is known since Michael Faraday, uh, will polarize light. So in that case, you're going to get some lights and darks as the polarization of the light right. around the, ma uh, the magnetic field that's coming off of this thing. So there's more evidence there, if you can properly interpret it, that suggests that these things are not being powered by uh, jet engines or any other kind of uh, system that we normally 
associate with aircraft in right. this world. Well, I'll send a link to you then later on if you want. Um, can I can I just bring up something briefly between um, us and that is the Rendlesham incident, um, as Graham will probably be very aware of, um, being a countryman. Um, yes, 1980 was the incident, and it was with Jim Pedersen and Jim uh, Jim Burrows, and um, amongst it was a three three-day incident uh, between the UFO incident between military and UFOs. So um, anyone that says it's one one-day incident is incorrect. It's three days. So tell me um, how these guys um, are trained military experts and don't know the difference between a lighthouse and a UFO. That's what I want to know, uh, because that is what is written in the skeptics' reports. When it was a three-day incident of a UFO landing, uh, they confirmed that it wasn't a UFO because Sergeant Jim Pedersen actually walked up and touched this particular UFO. Mm -hmm. And um, during the time that they touched this UFO, they had a time distortion. Uh, they went into a time bubble. And um, that proves that um, what Mark is saying, that, uh, you know, the, uh, the time translates differently when you manipulate uh, magnetic fields and um, these whoever they were time travelers or whatever have um, got the technology to do so and the actual case gets very interesting um, when Jim actually touched the, uh, the craft he got an encoded message in his head now, this is going beyond what a lot of people would go, yeah, that's just nuts, but that's what happened. And then um, I spoke to the author of Jim's book, um, Gary Osborn, uh, who translated the binary code that got downloaded into Jim's head, who he wrote down on a diary. And um, he decoded them as major points on Earth, like uh, the Giza and so forth, pyramids of Giza. Hmm. So, um, yeah, it just it's fascinating, the whole subject. Luke mentions about uh, trained military observers, like, you know, how how can they mistake you know mundane objects for for UFOs? Um, yeah, I mean th those kind of things have happened you know in the in the late nineteen forties and in the early nineteen fifties. The kind of things I was researching for the second book I wrote, Flying Saucer Fever. There's plenty of stories where 
know, pilots have seen things they simply don't understand. And yet their testimony, when it comes down to the, the actual intelligence reporting and, and onto Blue Book, et cetera, it bears no relation to what they actually said in terms of what they said, oh, this is what our evaluation, or oh, it's a weather balloon, or it's another aircraft, or, or it's some kind of weather phenomenon like the Northern Lights. And you've got experienced aircraft flying over, uh, air, uh, crews flying over the North Atlantic, and they're seeing things they don't understand, they're reporting them in detail, and yet, oh, it's just the Northern Lights, or it's just a weather, you've, you've had a dogfight with a weather balloon um, in the George Gorman case from, uh, from October 1948. Mm-hmm. You know, so the, there's a whole load of things happening from back then. Yeah, that, that's the notebook that James, uh, from James Penniston uh, that uh, Luke was mentioning. The, um, you know, the stories throughout history, from modern ufology history anyway, of trained observers seeing things that they can't understand, yet they're reporting in detail and which are then being misinterpreted by people who are supposed to be investigating them officially for the US government and other, and other agencies. And you just wonder why, you know, why are they saying, oh yeah, they're just weather balloons. Why are they this? Why are they that? Um, and yet other reports say this phenomenon is real. Well, at, since I have you three here, I, I want your I want your thoughts on something I've been investigating for about over a decade now, and that's what I term as the manta ray entities. Let's put it this way. Uh, and I, I do have a, a sketch that was sent to me, uh, and I, I've had this reported these these um, biocraft possibly that undulate. They're shaped like a uh, like a manta ray or something very similar to that. Uh, and the cases that I have been re- have been reported to me have been mostly in the United States. Uh, it used to be several that were in the, the Ohio River Valley, but I've gotten them all over the country since then. Do you believe that any of these craft or UFOs? may possibly have a bioform to them? Anyone? <laughs> yeah. Sure, why not? Yeah, I've heard that, but uh, through mainly through uh, abductee-type people and, oh, really? and mediums. I investigate every avenue, so um, just to see what's going on out there. And, yeah, they've mentioned that some of these... Um, you're talking millions of years more advanced, right? And and not just technically, but uh, psychically, because uh, their their crafts are guided by their thoughts. So you have to be very well disciplined if you're going to steer a craft at light speeds with your mind. But um, yeah, yeah, I've heard of them. I don't know, you know, if they're real or not. I you know, I haven't seen anything like that, but right. I believe in the possibility. Yeah, sure. That could. There's no reason why that couldn't be. Um, well, and, and also, I had an associate that lived in southern Wales, uh, in Carmarthenshire, and um, they had taken several photographs. And there, there's basically like a flyway there that runs from Wales down south across into. Uh, into Cornwall, down across the channel into Spain. But there seemed to be like a flyway there. And there have been a lot of photographs that they have sent to me that seem to be like blobs, basically. 
high up in the air, very colorful, but they do morph as they're flying. What What are your thoughts on those? There are stories of things happening in South Wales. It's certainly a bit of a hotspot, and there's been there was a school landing in Broadhaven back in the 1970s. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are it is certainly an area where there's been lots of activity. These kind of lights have been reported. There's one particular case out of South Wales which has got a lot of controversy behind it, which I'm not going to get into for various reasons. But there have been other things seen as well. And there's certainly one particular chap who I know who has photographed a lot of things like this. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's clearly something going on. But in terms of one particular case that's developed a bit of notoriety over the last few years, I don't think that one has much merit to it. But these ones, these other things, definitely there's there's something going on. And I'm not entirely sure we can understand what it is because we don't know enough about it. And seeing some you know, kind of pictures like this, you know, it, they're great to see. But I'm not entirely sure how much information they give us. Um, right. I'm not qualified as a photo interpretation expert anyway. Uh, so I couldn't tell you what's happening. Well, these are some of the photographs that were taken in South Wales. And, um, you know, I was just curious since I had you three here and what your thoughts were on that. So, uh, you know, it, it kind of it really intrigued me. I mean, these were taken like about uh, about nine or ten years ago. But, uh, you know, as we watched them, because they were videotaped, uh, they, they did change in shape. And uh, it was pretty obvious they were changing in shape. So, uh, I, 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 you know, I wondered your thoughts on if there were they may have been some type of bioform or some type of living organism. That's that's high up in the sky. Did they ever at any point develop a structure, a solid structure from being just a glowing orb? To not something? That, yeah, not that we noticed, not that I noticed. Um, and I was looking for that, but no. Well, there could, there could be a lot of explanations for that. Yeah. Um, Anything I would say would just be speculation. My only idea with with those kind of things is that might be something intradimensional, but it could also be ball lightning. It could be who knows what. There's precedent for these. There's a case from the 1950s of an airliner crew um, off Newfoundland had seen something that changed shape during the course of the encounter. So, you know, it's not as if it's something new, but yeah, as Mark says, you know, anything we would say about this is only speculation, really. Okay. Well, you know, I, I'd like to have each one of you tell the audience. Oh, now, that one was actually taken above Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Uh, that was taken by my uh, associate, Butch Wachowski. Uh, I, I'd like for each one of you to individually tell the folks what you've been working on, how they can contact you, where they can find your books, and anything you've got coming up in the future. Let's start out with uh, let's start out with Graham. Okay, so I've written two books on the UFO subject. The first is UFOs Before Roswell. It's about the Foo Fighters of World War II. And I came out with another book earlier this year called Flying Source of Fever, which is about aerial encounters between 1950 and 52. I've also worked just on a f- about to release one for 46 to 49 encounters. Uh, my books are available via, via Amazon. So if you do a search for my, for my name, Graham Rendell, you'll find them. If you're on Twitter, 
you can find me at border 750 that's the easiest way to contact me i accept dms so it's no problem um and yes i work on using historical documents to to build up a picture about uh, old cases so i'm trying to inform the public more about you know what happened years ago and also drawing parallels from what happened then to what's happening now as well so that's my prime focus uh luke yeah, I work on educated um, people such as Graham and other people um, to do my research. So um, my to keep it short, my groups are into the Dimensional Rift and UFO Files groups, which um, are highly successful. We're up to about 30,000 members, so you can contact me on either of the groups including um, Graham and Mark, um, already members, hopefully. Uh, yes, so, yep, uh, that, that's about it. Um, we'll keep it short. And Mark? I signed up, Luke. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, um, I wrote the book Master of Reality. Oh, here it is right here. Um, that was to complete all the notes I've amassed over the 45 years of study of Einstein's work and, and some of the other masters to complete the unified field theory solution, which I've uploaded to ResearchGate that goes along with the book to back up what I've said in the book. Uh, I worked on gravity so that I could figure out anti-gravity. So the short Short story on that is gravity is a contraction of space. So anti-gravity has to be an expansion of space. So I worked out how exactly uh, gravity is formed uh, by the, the use of accelerated particles uh, in, in an accelerated motion on unbalanced charge particles in accelerated motion causes gravity. So I use a similar technique electrons moving within wires, uh, which is not accelerated, to um, generate a magnetic field, which causes a stretching of space so that I could confirm that anti-gravity comes from a magnetic field. And I'm currently working on that in my lab now to see if I can detect any gravity shielding or uh, anti-gravity effect. So that's what I'm working on currently. And you can find my book on Amazon as well. Well, gentlemen, I really appreciate you taking the time to come on here tonight uh, from all corners of the globe. And, uh, you know, if, if you ever wish to contact me, feel free to do so. I'm very interested in what you're all doing. And uh, you all have a great weekend, and we will talk soon. Thank you. Thanks. Very good. Thank you. Now, if you've had an unexplained encounter or sighting, feel free to contact me through the Phantoms and Monsters blog site. I want to again thank my guests for joining me this evening. And thanks to each and all of you for watching and chatting. Uh, it's, it's truly appreciated when you come on here and spend your time with us. Uh, your support is what makes this possible. So please like, subscribe, and share. Now, if you have a sighting or encounter report that you would like to be considered, for the personal report show and or posted at Fams of Monsters, please feel free to uh, forward to my email 
at Lon Strickler at phantomsandmonsters.com. Now, next week, uh, or this Friday, my friend and colleague, uh, well, next Friday, yeah, my friend and colleague, Jeanette Lucas, will join me. Now, Jeanette is a forensic psychic who uses her gifts to find missing persons and assist police in solving cases. She is also involved in treasure hunting and other pursuits where she uses her abilities. So uh, make sure to join us next Friday. I think you'll find it very interesting. So until next week, stay healthy and have a safe and enjoyable weekend. Good night. Thank you.